I looked this past week, we began our sermon series through Acts on January 17th, 2021, almost two years ago to this Sunday. And this morning, we come to the final verses of Acts, chapter 28. We'll be reading beginning in verse 17 and going through the end, verse 31. Before we turn to the Lord's word, let us turn to him in prayer and ask him to bless the reading and hearing of this, his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is more precious than fine gold. It is sweeter than the purest honey. And as we now approach your holy and errant infallible word, prepare us to receive it. Grant that our hearts and minds might not only open before you, but also be humble and teachable in order that the good news of your love might shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but to respond with wonder, faith, and trust. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Dearly beloved, the word of God, Acts 28, verses 17 through 31, the word of God, it is written. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, that is Paul, who is now in Rome. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Caesar, Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. In disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they, have, they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have at last come to the end of our sermon series through the book of Acts. And as you will see in your bulletin, this is the 73rd sermon on Acts that we have preached. Well, what a great number to end on, right? What could be more biblical than having a number that has both a seven and a three in it? And we've been on a marvelous journey with the Apostolic Church during these 73 weeks. We've watched as the church was birthed in Jerusalem following the ascension of Jesus and the sending of his Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, the church very quickly grew from a small, scared group of disciples huddled together in a room to a huge number of believers who committed themselves to Jesus Christ and lived their faith boldly and passionately. Through the first eight chapters of Acts, we observed how this young church, after its inception, provided a wonderful witness in Jerusalem. The gospel was proclaimed unashamedly. Miracles were performed with power. New believers and their families were baptized. Christian fellowship was enjoyed. Deacons were chosen to care for the needs of the church. And then persecution hit. Stephen was stoned, and the church scattered. But in the scattering, the church obeyed what the risen Lord had commanded. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria. And this is what we saw happening in chapters 8 through 12. We saw the church scatter, and we saw the gospel spread to the outermost regions of Judea and Samaria. And even as it spread, God was miraculously breaking into people's lives, one of whom was the Pharisee named Saul, who had resolved himself to silencing and stifling this emerging movement known as the way. And as you know, Paul was, Saul was converted by the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was turned from his murderous ways, and he was set on a journey of suffering on the path of obedience to Jesus Christ. Ananias, who was used as an instrument of healing and a messenger from the Lord to Saul, was told by Jesus that Saul would be a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul, or as we better know him, the Apostle Paul would later say in his testimonies documented in Acts that Jesus had declared to him that he was going to be sent to give witness to the Gentiles. This was his task. This was his role. He was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so in chapter 13, the great missionary expansion of the church to the rest of the world began. Remember, Jesus did not simply say to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but he also instructed his disciples to go to the very ends of the earth. 
And as we made our way through Acts, we saw this instruction obeyed. Paul and Barnabas began this work as detailed in chapters 13 through 15. And then Paul and the chapters that followed continued this work throughout Asia and Europe. Churches were established in places like Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, and Ephesus. And it was at Ephesus that Paul declared, I must see Rome. This was a personal desire that was later affirmed by the Lord Jesus to be Paul's calling. An angel would even later reinforce this message, telling Paul that he would stand trial before Caesar. So as I stated last week, Paul's arrival in Rome in chapter 21, chapter 28 is what everything has been building toward. This is the great climax of this story. But, but, as we now come to these final verses of the book, this book that we have spent two years in, perhaps it doesn't feel very climactic. In fact, it might leave you feeling a little disappointed, a little let down, a little frustrated. Paul had arrived in Rome and then what? We're told that he met with some Jews, most of whom we are told were not persuaded by the gospel. We're also told that he was under house arrest for two years. Okay, but then what? What else happened? What, what about standing before Caesar? Wasn't that why he was coming to Rome? And we all know that Paul was eventually martyred. What, what about that? Or, or what about Paul's interaction with, with the church in Rome? All of the Roman Christians seem to have just suddenly dropped from the conversation after verse 15. Why doesn't Luke tell us any, about any of these things? There are loads of questions that we have that Luke leaves unanswered here. He just leaves us hanging, it seems. So this probably isn't the picture-perfect ending we might have been expecting, where everything gets tied up nicely with a bow on top. It doesn't end like our favorite books or movies, where everything builds to one big climactic moment, and then there's some sort of resolution to all of the drama. But in fact, Luke has provided us an appropriate ending here, whether we know it or not. It could even be argued that this is the perfect ending for the book of Acts. Not perfect in the sense that it answers all of our questions, but perfect in the sense that it thoroughly accomplishes what Luke set out from the beginning to do in writing the book of Acts. So I want to identify three things that, that we should recognize here which will not only help us to appreciate the ending, but will also help us to understand the overarching point of the book as a whole. And in these three things, we will also see some very important lessons for us as we continue life in the church, life in God's kingdom beyond Acts 28. I, I do want to say before I give these three points, I'm indebted to, to pastor and author Kevin DeYoung for 
helping to highlight these things. It takes someone like Kevin, who is not only very intellectually capable and spiritually gifted, but also very mission-minded to remind the church that we should constantly be aware of why we exist in the first place. And that is to worship God and to bring others to worship God. Worship and mission, these are the two great ends of the church of Jesus Christ. So first, our mission as a church is to present a clear proclamation of the gospel. It is the mission of the church to present a clear proclamation of the gospel. It is an announcement that God has come in Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And in Jesus Christ, God's kingdom has drawn near and has been opened to all who repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the church might get caught up in all sorts of other things these days, trying to make itself relevant to the world around it, trying to be seeker-sensitive, trying to be a beacon of social justice, trying to wield political power, but these are all distractions from the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really isn't that complicated. Our task is to proclaim the gospel. And that is what Acts is all about. It's centered around the proclamation of the gospel. Acts begins with Jesus himself teaching about God's kingdom and giving instruction to the church to go forth and be his witnesses. And and what does that mean? What did Jesus expect of his followers to do when he called them to give witness to him? Well, what do witnesses do? They give testimony to what they have seen and heard and experienced. And according to Acts, the disciples apparently understood Jesus' instruction to mean that they were to go out and to proclaim the gospel. They were to go out and proclaim the things that they had seen and heard and experienced with Jesus, and they were to declare that God's kingdom had drawn near in him. We might point out that there were some other things as well. The, The church understood that it was to live in the power of the Spirit performing mighty deeds, living life as citizens of God's kingdom, as God's beloved children in the community of the redeemed, studying God's word together, praying together, loving and caring for one another. All of those things worked to validate the things that they were saying about Jesus. So the church didn't go out with a game plan to build God's kingdom. That wasn't their plan. In fact, we need to realize that when Acts speaks of God's kingdom, it doesn't ever say that it is something that we, the church, build. We don't find any language about our work to create or to expand or to extend God's kingdom. We talk that way sometimes. But if we look at the language concerning the kingdom of God in Scripture, it is all passive. The kingdom is something that is coming, that we enter into by receiving. It is something into which we are baptized, and it contains promises that are inherited. It's all passive. So the task of the church isn't to build God's kingdom. God is building his kingdom. 
the church is called to simply bear witness to this reality and proclaim the gospel. That is the central task. And now that we have reached the end of Acts, I hope we can look back and see how the whole book of Acts is structured around this task. The proclamation of the gospel began in Jerusalem where we were told that all were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then it expanded out to Judea and Samaria after the stoning of Stephen, at which time we were told those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word. Then when the gospel moved beyond Judea and Samaria in chapter 13, we found Paul and Barnabas who were doing what? They proclaimed the word of God beginning in the synagogues and then eventually moving beyond the synagogues and the Jews to the Gentiles. It is the proclamation of the gospel that we see again and again and again and again in Acts. So, is it any surprise that as Paul now reaches Rome, the ends of the earth, on the other side of that tempestuous sea, the Mediterranean, but not only that, the heart of the empire at the ends of the earth, what do we find? Surprise, surprise. With only three days of rest from his long and drama-filled journey, Paul gets to work doing what the apostles had been doing from the very beginning of Acts. Verse 17 tells us that Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews in order to plead his case before them, and they agreed to hear him out. And what did he present to them when they came? Verse 23. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them to persuade them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He proclaimed the gospel to them. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day as Paul spent the entire day expounding the scriptures to them, revealing how Jesus had fulfilled the scripture, sharing his personal experience concerning the risen Lord, sharing what had been told to him by the other disciples who had been with Jesus during his earthly ministry, inviting these Jews to repent and place faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness and eternal life and be welcomed into God's kingdom. Should it surprise us to see that in Acts 28, the focus is still the gospel of Jesus Christ, which still goes first to the Jews. And we might say, well, but many of them didn't even receive the gospel. We've seen that before in Paul's ministry. And each time it resulted in him turning to the Gentiles. And this time, Paul very decisively points out that because of the hard-heartedness of the Jews, which is in accordance with prophecy, the gospel has now been sent to the Gentiles who will listen. Paul, having now personally delivered the gospel to the Jews in Rome, turned to the Gentiles. 
None of this is happening outside of God's plan for salvation, for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth and to draw people into God's kingdom from every nation, tribe, and tongue, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And not every Jew would be revealed to be part of the true Israel of God, but there were many beyond ethnic Israel who would be revealed to be a member of God's kingdom through placing faith in Jesus Christ. And Luke is concluding Acts by revealing to us that there is a vast world out there that is filled with those hungering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For two years, while Paul was under house arrest in Rome, Gentiles were coming to Paul to hear him proclaim the gospel. And we know that through Paul's ministry in Rome, even those in Caesar's household were hearing the gospel and coming to faith, as Paul records for us in his letter to the Philippians. So from beginning to end, Acts is about the gospel. And it should serve as a reminder to us that this is what the world needs most. It doesn't need more self-help books. It doesn't need more capable leaders. It doesn't need a better governmental or economic structure. It doesn't need the church to be some kind of inspiration It needs the gospel. And God has given the church the task of being the bearer of this message. That's what is at the heart of the mission of the church. The church was uniquely created for the proclamation of the gospel. Unfortunately, there are many Christians in America who self-identify as evangelicals who don't seem to have any understanding at all that this word comes from the Greek word meaning good news or gospel. We need to get back to the heart of our mission and keep our eyes focused on our most important task. We are messengers of the gospel. The second thing we need to see here in Acts 28 is that because Acts is about the gospel, it's a story that's bigger than any one person. Or or to be more technical, it is first and foremost about Jesus Christ. He is the primary focus. This is a story about Jesus and the good news concerning him. Everyone else is supporting cast. So the story is bigger than all of those folks we have seen and been introduced to along the way. It's bigger than the Phillips and the Silases and the Lydias and the Jameses and the Tabithas and the Ananiases and the Barnabases. And it's even bigger than those like Peter. Think about this. If you were asked who were the central and most important people in the early church, then you would almost certainly say Peter. Let me ask you this. Where's Peter been? Have you noticed that Acts hasn't mentioned Peter in some time? In fact, Peter has all but disappeared from the story after chapter 12 and verse 19. Now, can you, can you imagine reading a novel where the main character disappears less than halfway through the story? Does that mean that Peter is unimportant in the early church? Of, of course not. But Peter isn't the primary character in this story. It isn't a story about Peter. And likewise, it isn't a story about Paul either. It's about the gospel. And so we might wonder why some of our questions surrounding what happened to Paul go unanswered, but 
that would make it seem like the story was focused on Paul. And it wasn't. God used Paul in mighty ways, certainly. But Paul's fate was secondary to the fate of the gospel. And actually, most biblical scholars going along with the early church historian Eusebius believe that Paul's martyrdom did not occur during his time in Rome, chronicled for us here in this chapter. It's widely believed that after two years in Rome, Paul was released, that he went on a fourth missionary journey, as it were, at which time he wrote some of his later epistles like First and Second Timothy and Titus. He was a few years later rearrested and brought to Rome where he was martyred under the emperor Nero. And here's the shocker. Luke probably wrote Acts after the release of Paul and even after his eventual rearrest and execution. But this isn't a chronicle of the life and times of the apostle Paul. And if Luke had ended Acts with Paul's martyrdom, it would have put the focus on Paul. It, it would have seemed to be a story about Paul. It might have even raised questions about the triumph of the gospel if the great missionary Paul was killed in the end. So Luke intends for Acts to keep focus on what is important by ending Acts in this way. He cuts short Paul's story to lift up the story of the gospel, which was accomplishing its purposes. And therefore, just as we have seen in those characters that we might have been introduced to throughout Acts, it is with Paul. Some will live, some will die, some we will hear about in great detail, some we will wish we knew more about. The story isn't about them, though. It really isn't even about the history of the early church. It is the story of what Jesus Christ did through the power of his Holy Spirit to reach the nations with the gospel. It's about the risen Lord Jesus and the good news concerning him going forth in power to accomplish all that God had purposed. And so Acts intends to end with our focus not on Paul, not on Peter, but on the gospel having reached the nations. This help, ending helps us helps to remind us uh, of this truth. It, it, it points us to the reality, which might be hard for us to swallow, but it points us to the reality that we are all just supporting cast and God's story. It's easy sometimes to imagine that we are the stars of our own story. We like to imagine, well, this is my story. Like the universe revolves around me and all of you people out there are just supporting cast for what's going on in my life. We would never say that out loud, right? But there are evidences in our lives that that is true of us. This is what leads us to get upset when things don't go as we plan them to go. When people don't do what we want them to do. Luke gives us a newsflash here in Acts 28. Guess what? Your story isn't about you. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not the star of this story that God is writing. And that isn't to say that you are unimportant. 
It, it isn't to say that you are without value or that you don't have a personal story. It is to say that the most important story is that of the gospel and its advance in the world. If our lives are to be important in any way, the extent of that will be based on how well they support the story of the gospel. So let me ask you this. What do you want me to say at your funeral? What do you want me to say at your funeral? You want, you want me to talk about all the material possessions you had? You want, me to, you want me to say what position you held in your professional life or how successful your business was? You want me to recount the number of degrees that you had? Or do you want me to share how your life counted for God's eternal kingdom? Do you want me to testify to your love for Jesus and your passion for his gospel? Do you want me to tell those gathered how you understood the most important legacy you left your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren was the legacy of a life devoted to worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ, a life devoted to knowing him and making him known? So what are you living your life for? You living it for a resume? Or are you living it for a eulogy? You living it for your own story or are you living it for something bigger? The gospel is a story that we should all want remembered. Our lives will eventually all be forgotten. But scripture tells us the word of the Lord endures forever. And the truth proclaimed here is that nothing will stop the triumph of the word of God. It will be victorious. God will accomplish his purposes. Christ will build his church. Nothing will stop that from happening. That is what the whole book of Acts is about. Despite all the conflict, despite all the setbacks, despite all the opposition, God's word progresses and succeeds. This is the third and final thing that we should note here in this passage. Look at how Acts ends. Verse 31. The final verse of Acts. Paul welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The last words of Acts are that the gospel was proclaimed with all boldness and without hindrance. Unhindered is literally the last word here. God's word would not be stopped by stonings, shipwrecks, or snakes. It won't be stopped by imprisonments or imposters. It won't be stopped by uprisings or emperors. None of these things prevents God's word from accomplishing its purposes. The gospel has constantly been threatened. It will never be silenced. And it continues today. In showing us the hunger for the gospel and the unhindered progress of the gospel, this conclusion of Acts is inviting us to participate. It's telling us that the door of the gospel has been opened wide to the Gentiles. It's a door that opens, remains open to this day. And we need to see this for what it is. By God's grace and sovereign purpose, the gospel has come to even us. 
And by God's grace and power, we have repented and received it and been welcomed into God's kingdom. And by God's grace, the door remains open and we have the privilege of sharing this message and inviting others to enter into the kingdom of God. We, we might think that Luke leaves us hanging at the end of Acts without, with, a, with a lot of unanswered questions. But what he has done is he's left us with an open invitation to enter into God's kingdom, receive God's gracious promises, and partic- participate in God's redemptive work. A- Acts, in a way, is left unfinished. This is part of the perfection of this ending for it is for each generation of the church to write the end of acts until the day when jesus comes again in glory and his kingdom is fully consummated and even though this story wasn't about paul the new testament does reveal to us that paul had a passion to reach unreached people with the gospel he wanted to go where Jesus Christ had not been named. And he made it his mission to find those people and to proclaim to them the good news of God and Jesus Christ. And even 2,000 years later, it remains the task of the church to continue to strive to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul completed the work given to him, but that doesn't mean that the work is finished. There are many who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And this might be for the church today to take the gospel into the jungles of the Congo or into the Amazon. It it might be making sure that the gospel reaches nations like Japan or North Korea. But these days it could also mean the people of Spain or the Netherlands or England who need to hear the gospel proclaimed again for the first time. And even though we wouldn't consider the people of Northeast Louisiana to be an unreached people group, there might be unchurched people living right across the street from your house. And Jesus Christ calls us to go and to proclaim the gospel until he returns. Dearly beloved, our lives need to be about the gospel. We are called to stop living for ourselves and to live for a bigger story, participate in this great story of the gospel advancing unhindered in the world to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful journey this has been through the book of Acts. We praise you and bless you for preserving this, your word. What a joy it has been to dig into it and through it. We have been richly blessed. And we especially give thanks for your graciousness to invite us, those who were once far off aliens to your promises, to receive Jesus Christ in his promises through faith. And we find it a great privilege that you invite us to participate in your redemptive work. Help us to be faithful to this task. And may your word go forth in power and accomplish all your holy will. And may you receive all the glory, for it is in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray these things. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed from Philippians chapter 2. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God.
to the glory of God the Father.